The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. Thank you, Meg, as always. Uh, some of you asked where Gilbert was this weekend, our, our pastor of worship. He's out on a family weekend uh, with his folks uh, down in St. Louis. So if you're on Facebook, you've probably already seen all his photos. Gilbert's a photographer, so he can't go a second without taking a photo. But they're always better than my 500 photos, so I'll let it be what it is, as God has it. Uh, also, uh, you know, we, we do have one, a couple of our own actually traveling in Europe right now, Bella uh, Middall and uh, uh, Starla Smith are out in Europe with the Winnetonka band, so you keep them in their prayers. It's that time of year people are out and about, so if you're going to be gone and you're going to miss a sermon or some study, these are always posted on our website, towerviewkc.com, and uh, also on Facebook as we get them up. Well, you're in Mark chapter 8 this morning. Uh, we are on the down-home slide of this Mark study. Amen. You said that three weeks ago. Really, we are on the down-home slide. We are more than 51% of the way done with the book of Mark. So if that's not down-home slide, guys, I don't know what is. Uh, I, I didn't do much math in high school, but I know that's above, that's the downhill slide. So we'll let that be what it is. But if you're joining us or if it's been a while, we are in a verse-by-verse, almost phrase-by-phrase study through the gospel of Mark. And Mark is writing to a Gentile audience, an audience that is not familiar with a lot of the things that are happening. So we'll look at that. But today, the, the title of the sermon is, Who Do You Say That I Am? And that is the world's greatest question, isn't it? Who do you say that I am? Well, as we often do not do, we're going to have you stand this morning, if you will, at the very first. Oh, my. What Darren is changing things. This is going to be interesting. So if you're able to stand for the reading of God's Word, we're going to mix it up this morning. We're going to read, and then I'm going to get into the sermon. Uh, hopefully that's okay with you, but... Uh, uh, if not, you, you know where I live afterwards, so you can come find me. It is what it is. But Mark chapter, seven, Mark chapter 8, verses 27 to 30 this morning. Hear God's word as we start off. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And he told them, John the Baptist and others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And verse 29, and he asked them, but who do you, who do y'all say that I am? And Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them not to tell anyone. Let's pray as we start off today. Father God, as we uh, start off this week with the scripture reading at the first, a, a big change. I think it's the first time in three years we've done that. But Lord, I pray that as we do so, that as we look at this question, who do you say that I am? Lord, we answer that corporately as a church. We say that you are Lord. There is no other name under heaven by which we are saved. Every knee shall bow at the name of Jesus. But, Father, individually, we also ask that question this morning. For Christians this morning, Lord, if we truly believe that, not just for salvation, but for everyday life, for non-Christians among us, Lord, that they would understand and answer that question. It's nothing else but Jesus in their lives that saves them from the wrath of God, forgives them of sin, and brings them to a relationship with you, Father. Lord, we thank you so much that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Father, may you bless our time together, we pray in Jesus' name. And God's people said, 
Amen. You may be seated. Well, now that you're thrown for a loop, are you ready to get into the sermon? Uh, I'm just kidding. Uh, as it is, you know, sometimes there are things that come, and, and you ask this question, who are you? Who are you? Maybe you look like this guy, you feel like this guy on the screen, but there's a story about uh, uh, an officer's dinner, a, a military officer's dinner, and one of our own Nelson is out this week doing that very thing on his duty weekend, but a young lieutenant was there listening to a man who never seemed to stop talking, an old retired general, and he looked to the woman next to him, and he said, when is this old windbag going to stop talking? And the woman looked at him and said, excuse me, lieutenant, do you have any idea who I am? And she said, or he said, no, ma'am, as he kind of fumbled around. And she said, but I'm the wife of the man you just called an unbearable old windbag. Oh, said the lieutenant. And he said, and do you know who I am? And he said, she said, no. Good, because I'm going to get up and leave right now, and I won't be in any trouble whatsoever from here on out. So, <laughs> it's very, very true. Sometimes you get away with that, sometimes you don't. But knowing who you're talking about, and more importantly, who you are is, well, it's important, isn't it? So important that knowing who you are is priceless in knowing, first off, who Jesus is. Because you can never know who you are apart from your relationship with the living God, Jesus Christ. In Exodus chapter 3 and verse 14, this is what God said about himself. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people, the I am has sent me. You will never know who you are apart from who God has said he is. Because if your eyes have been opened to the truth of the gospel, if your mind understands the mysteries about the gospel, if you desire to live by faith, you know who you are. You are not your own anymore. You are God's child by faith in Jesus Christ. Because apart from that, your eyes are shut, your heart is closed, your mind is confused, and you can do nothing whatsoever to please God. So friends, let me ask you this question this morning. This passage we're going to go through is a very familiar passage for most of you in this room. But is the grace of knowing who you are in Christ truly impacted what you do every day? How you live it? How you speak it? How you talk about it? Does it produce in you this knowing who you are in Christ, a rest, a hope, a freedom, a humility, and the courage to continue on? Do you have more confidence in Christ today because you know who you are than when you didn't know Christ or even when you were new in Christ? Because God's grace in Christ is relentless, it's forgiving, and it's transformational. And that's the great thing. The big idea today, if you're visiting with us, the big idea is just the summary of everything the sermon's going for. But if Jesus is who he says he is, then everything in your life will and should change. How do you know someone is a Christian? There is a radical change in their life. If there's no radical change in their life, there's probably no fruit under that tree. And so as we look at this today, you will know who you are as you know who God is. And if you come to know the love of God, you know that God's grace has visited you. If you've come to rest more in God's plans in your life than your control over your life, that's a great sign that the grace of God has visited you and you know who you are and who he is. If you've come to the point in your life where you love your neighbor like you love yourself, even though you may fall at that at times, 
You'll know who you are because grace has visited you, and you'll know who He is. And if you've come to rest in who Christ is and not your own trying to hold yourself up and look good in front of others, then you'll know God's grace has visited you. But that is the ultimate question. Who do you say this Jesus is? Because how you answer that question, Christian, impacts how you live your life every second of every day. And if you're not a Christian, it impacts not only your life here, but your life forever. So here's the, the two points. Two points today. Wow. We're changing where we read the Scripture, and we're going to two points. Hold on to your seats, guys. It's, it's, go, it's going. Two questions today, actually. Two statements. You need to know who He is and confess who Jesus is because there is an inescapable question and there is an acceptable answer. And what we're going to see here is that, that, that Peter is, is kind of the bold spokesman we read about. He's going to say who Jesus is, but we're going to see the picture of Peter. As you know, he doesn't always live that out, this side of Jesus' death. And as such, we have to be challenged with that fact. And as we get ready to get into this gospel question, do you know who you are in Christ? You say, Pastor, of course I do. I'm a child of God. But is that a reality every day in your life. And if you're not a Christian, you say, tell me more about this, Jesus, we will get there. But the disciples, for the very first time in the book of Mark, Jesus tells them who he is. And from here, we go on to the slide down to Jerusalem as he gets ready to get to his death. And I've mapped this out. You want to know when we're going to get to the last chapter of Mark, don't you? So by October of 2019, we will be in Mark chapter 16. Amen? So, um, Hang on, year and a half, it'll be what it is. But uh, let's pray as we start off. I just want to pray one more time as we get into this this morning. Will you pray with me? Father God, we thank you so much just that there is uh, a reason to be here. It's because Jesus is Lord, and we pray, Father, that as we look at what this is, that as we know who we are in you and who you are, Father, apart from us, because you are the separate, almighty, transcendent God, yet you condescended, you came down, and you lived among us, died the death we couldn't die, lived the life we couldn't live, we were buried, rose again. Father, we thank you for sending your son to do those things. We look forward to your return, but Father, give us wisdom this morning as we look at this passage. We pray this in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen. Well, the first thing I want you to see this morning is there is an inescapable question. You remember last week, if you were here, we looked at the blind man uh, that Jesus healed in two stages, and we said that was a picture of coming to Christ, that there's a part where when you come to Jesus, just like the blind man didn't get a full healing, that you don't understand everything about your faith. If you do, you might be called God, and that's not who you are, so don't go there. You're not Mormon, and that's not what we believe, so don't try it. But there's a second stage that someday when you become and go to heaven, whether you die before Jesus comes or he returns, that you will know more than you know now. But you'll still be chasing for all eternity this God. We will never exhaust the God of Scripture. So now Jesus takes these disciples away to an area that's kind of like jumping out in Missouri terms. If you were to go to the middle of nowhere, Missouri, and just find a city that's kind of nice around there, but go to the outskirts. That's kind of where they are. They're at Caesarea Philippi. They're the Mount Hebron area. They're now at a place where the River Jordan flows out of the snowy mountains and goes down. It's not a place you would think that, if, in our minds at least, you would go if you want to tell who you are. I mean, Jesus, again, 
why don't you get some PR people around you? You keep hiding around when you just need to go out and tell people who you are. But Jesus doesn't do that. He takes them to ask them the inescapable question. And you notice that the crowd doesn't recognize who he is. The, the, the miracle recipients don't really know who he is. The disciples really don't have a clue, at least the full clue of who he is. And this should not be a shock to us. Because it tells us in Scripture, 1 Corinthians 2, that the natural man does not understand the things of God because they are spiritually discerned. These disciples have come to a remote place. They have been saved. But apart from grace, apart from grace, they do not know the truths of Scripture. And friends, that is a great reminder to us that as Christians, we should never take pride in our understanding of the gospel. We should never take pride in this. We should never take pride in the fact that there's faith inside of us and a desire to live God's way. We should never look at someone and be like, I've got Jesus, you don't, I'm better than you. And we must not turn the gospel into a reason for arrogance. But we do. If we're honest, we really do. And apart from grace, I would have been that person in the crowd saying, who is Jesus? Apart from grace, I would have heard the words of Jesus, seen the power of Jesus, and walked away totally unchanged. Many of you in this room can say that same thing. You have heard sermon after sermon after sermon after sermon, and you have, you have not but a twit of faith and a twit of knowledge and a twit of desire to follow Jesus, but at the same time, you, your eyes have not been opened. It's just a guy up there talking for 40 minutes and saying, when are we getting to lunch? Friends, this is the, the question that comes to mind then. We as Christians have to answer this question, as does a non-Christian. So look back at verse 27. Jesus asked them a very straightforward question. Who do people say that I am? And this is what he says. He says, who do people say that I am? You ever, have you ever done that yourself? Have you ever gone to ask people, what do people think about me? Now, for some of you, that's a really scary thought because it might be more truth than you want. It might be more reality than you want. But if you've ever done that before, it's just this weird feeling. But Jesus, being God, knows the answer already. And what he is going to do is he is going to ask the question as it is. Adam, are we doing okay on batteries? I hear some feedback coming through. Are we okay? All right. Adam's looking for me. Can you all hear me okay back there just fine? Okay, good. I want to make sure because it's, it's tweaking up here in my ear, so I want to make sure. But he asks this question. He says, who do you say that I am? He, notice he, he doesn't go to them and ask the question right away. He wants to get the level playing field out. And the disciples respond with a number of opinions. But the question is really a setup by Jesus because apart from the grace in their lives, they will never be able to answer this question. And they will look and look, but they'll never find Jesus. But notice what they say. They say there in verse 28, And they, the disciples, said, John the Baptist. You remember this? In Mark chapter 6, the ruler Herod thought that the, Jesus was the resurrected John the Baptist, Mark 6, 14 and 15. But that's not who it was. Or they said, maybe Elijah. Maybe you're Elijah. Maybe you're a great prophet. And the prophetic forerunner, the day of the Lord has come. But, but that's not who Jesus was. Or maybe he said, they said, you are one of the prophets. Deuteronomy 18, the prophet Moses. I mean, that's a pretty impressive company. If someone came up to you and said, you're one of the greatest people ever to walk on the face of the earth, you're, you're, you're this guy, you're that guy, I would be pretty humbled. 
But Jesus isn't impressed with their answers. I mean, Jesus recognizes that to be a man who teaches the way of God, uh, that's great. He recognizes that to be named like Elijah as a prophet, that's an honor. He recognizes that, that it's not too shabby to be called one of the prophets. But that's not what he came to do. The crowds are dead wrong. And church, be reminded today, there are only four possibilities of who Jesus is. Jesus is either Lord, he's a lunatic, he's a liar, or he's a legend. He's only one of those. And this is C.S. Lewis and a fourth one mine. He's, he's either a legend. You know, some people today believe that Jesus was just this, this, this fictitious person that walked around. That's hogwash. Please don't believe Discovery Channel on that. There's other people who say he must have been a liar. He spoke things, but it wasn't always true, but people followed him anyway. Or that he's a lunatic. I mean, come on. This guy's like putting, he's spitting in people's mouths and calling them healed. He's putting mud on their eyes. I mean, if someone did that today, if they're not a kid, you'd think they're a little off the rocker, wouldn't you? But that's not the truth. The truth is, is that Jesus is Lord. He's Lord of lords and King of kings. He doesn't get, he doesn't get defrocked if he says the wrong religious thing. He doesn't get impeached if he says or does things we don't like. We don't have to vote on him every four years and have a campaign. Go, Jesus, go. He's Lord of all, all the time. That is a great truth. And let our jaws drop of what he said in John 8, 58 to connect back to our opening verses. Jesus said before Abraham was, I am. He claims to be God. He backs it up. He's not just one of. He is the one. He's not just a pointer like John, Elijah, or the prophets. He is the point. He's sat, he, it's very lofty to call him a prophet, a popular teacher, a wonder worker, but those miss the point. The point is, is that as you understand who Jesus is, you understand that he is the only one. These were stellar assessments, they said, but the inescapable question is, is who do people say that I am? Let me give you an example. And you'll see it this way. You may think they're saying some very good things about Jesus, and they are. But they're calling him one of the prophets, a great man. It's kind of like saying that the sun is one of many lights we use to light up our house. It's almost like saying, and I'm sorry, if you're a LeBron basketball fan in here, this is just going to rain on your parade. But it's, all, it's like saying that Michael Jordan used to throw a ball around for the Chicago Bulls. Or that Donald Trump, who's our current president, owns a home in New York. Those are all true statements, I think. You know, if you're a LeBron fan, you'll, you'll argue number two, but we can duke that out later. But, but these are all false because they don't say enough information. They don't tell us all the story. The sun is not just another light in your house. It's the star of our solar system. It lights up everything. Michael Jordan is the best basketball player ever. And if you want to take that to the bank, please do because it's gold. So take it what it is. And Donald Trump is the president of the United States. You could say that about Obama, about George W., about Clinton, and so on and so forth as they go back. If you don't say those more specific things, you're not really saying what matters. But by saying what is important and most unique, you're actually saying something very misleading if you don't say those things. Let me hit it home a little bit closer. Because these are great things they said about Jesus, but, but we need to get to the truth of who he is. When it comes to identifying Jesus, partial truths always miss the biggest truth. He's not just John the Baptist. He's not just another Elijah. He is something different. Let's go home this way. I love my beautiful wife. If you're a husband in here, you ought to say that. If you're a future husband, you ought to pray for that. 
But if I were to describe my wife as a beautiful woman among many beautiful women in the world, that might get me in trouble at home, wouldn't it? Let's take this a little bit deeper, shall we? Or if I say that she's just an individual that I deeply respect. Well, I do, but that wouldn't fly very far either. If I say that she's the last woman in a line of long women that I've loved, would my wife be very pleased? Do you see where this is going? Obviously not. You, you, you are, you're, 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 you're made with her favor. You don't, you guys just don't say that, okay? If you, <laughs> let that be. I, my, for my wife in particular, that's insulting to her uniqueness in describing her in terms so much below what she deserves. Do you see the connection? That's why if you're not a Christian in this room, away with saying Jesus is just like Muhammad or he's like Buddha or he has the compassion of the Dalai Lama who will pass away or, or, or like Gandhi or like your saintly grandmother. He is like nobody else. He is Lord of lords. He is King of kings. There is no one who can stand underneath him without bowing the knee. That's why if you are a Christian, it is not just a matter that you're on the right team. You're not just on the right team. You have the right and only God. That's it. You know, so many well-intended people say, you know, when I get to before God on Judgment Day, I'm just gonna, we're just going to have a good chat. Well, that's interesting because Revelation 20 says, Heaven and earth flee away from His presence. This is not just any God. There is an inescapable, inescapable question who do you say that he is? And as we will not be impressed with anyone else, he's not just one, he is the one. Christian, is that true in your life? Are you okay with him being the only one worthy of praise in your life? Now, yes, you need to encourage people, you need to encourage your spouse, that's not what I'm saying, but would you check your heart today to say, Lord, is there someone else, as we sang about, that has taken that first love away from you so much that you're just a side note. Look, if you think more about Jesus on Sunday than any other day, may I submit to you, you do not have a vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ. If I just thought about my wife once a day, or once a, one day a week, and all of the other days of the week I thought about all sorts of other things and other places and other people besides my commitment to her, I would not be considered a faithful husband, especially if I acted on those thoughts as sinful as that would be. It's been well said that the most segregated hour in the 1960s was during the 11 o'clock hour in any given church. There was a black church, a white church, Hispanic church, Korean church, you name it. But friends, the most idolatrous hour in any church is when we get up to worship on a Sunday morning. We all may well be saved and we all may well be in Jesus, but if we are not praying, Lord, don't let any idols in my heart. Don't let a picture, a cultural picture of Jesus be my worship. Let what the Bible says about your son be my worship today. Then we're walking on very, very shaky ground. As you come to worship, as I come to worship, may our hearts pour forth in repentance and say, Lord, whatever I've done this week, please forgive me in Jesus' name and praise God he will. Praise God he will. So that's number one. There are some inescapable questions. I want you to see number two. There's only one acceptable answer. Will you look back with me at verses 29 and 30? Verses 29 and 30. Very familiar words. And Jesus asked them. Notice it's a them. It's a y'all, you whatever 
dialect you have this morning. And he asked them, but who do you? That you is sing. It looks like it's just a one-to-one. That's y'all. Who do you all, plural, say that I am? He's asking the group, just like he did the first time. And Jesus shifts the question to his disciples. And just right out of the gate here, what you say, what you think, rather, about Jesus matters to Jesus. That is the first thing I want you to see here. Now, let me be very clear. Our God does not need the pats of men on the back. His, use the big theological word, his aseity. He's, he does, he's not a needy God. God doesn't need you to serve him. He doesn't need you to worship him. He's completely self-sufficient. But what you think about Jesus matters to Jesus in this way. How you view him impacts how you live for him. How you don't view him impacts how you don't live for him. Do you see that connection? So what you think about Jesus really does matter to Jesus because that is the ultimate question, the ultimate answer. There's only one correct answer. And you can be in church your whole life with Bible studies and retreats and sing all the good songs and miss Jesus for who he really is. There's a gift that the Lord stands ready to give you if you're in that boat. If you've played the church card so many times you don't even know if you're a Christian or not, if you say you're a Christian, but by your deeds, your life does not back that up. You're not saved by what you do, but what you do surely shows that you're saved. Then no, he's not just a nobody, this Jesus, but he is the somebody. And this is exactly who Jesus says that he is. But that is the question, who is he to you? Who is he to you? I want to take a moment. I want to complain with you for a moment. Can I do that? Can we air our grievances like Seinfeld, even though it's not uh, one of those days? But I'm a bit irritated at commentators on this passage because so many pastors and commentators, even myself, before looking into this, look at Peter's confession. Did you notice in verse 30, he nails it. He does. He says, you are the Christ. And uh, Matthew goes on in the same passage of Matthew's gospel and says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. But a lot of commentators focus on Peter's confession, but they don't see how he got there. They don't focus on how Peter got to this point. But we need to understand how Peter got to this point. Think with me for a moment. It wasn't too long ago, maybe like two and a half years ago, Peter was doing what Peter did. He was a world-class fisherman. He got up every day with the same lifestyle, the same people. He'd check his nets. He would check the boat to make sure it's okay. He'd go out in the water. He'd go fishing. He'd take it to the market. He'd sell it. He'd prepare the equipment for the next day, so on and so forth. Just like many of you parents feel like you do, changing diapers 27 times a day and putting out the same fires 28 times a day as it is. But he had no idea what was going on in his life. He knew about these religious things, but Peter had no idea that grace would completely transform him upside down. And yet Peter was chosen by God, and eventually grace invaded his life. What an awesome thing that was. And as you see, this man who had a few moments when he came to Christ before was just a fisherman. His life was completely changed. He didn't get it all, but he now makes an amazing confession. Peter, who always spoke first, Peter, who was the bold one, Peter, who fell flat on his face, gets this one right. But he didn't just get it right out of the gate. God had been bringing him along for such a long time. It's a very clear from this passage, Peter had little sense of what he just said. It's kind of like when a kid says something mind-blowing, and you think, where in the world did you come up with that? Out of the mouths of bays, right? 
But if, if you could argue that the rest of Peter's life was learning the words he just said. Look, any parrot, African gray parrot, those $2,000 birds that are worth more than some of our cars, can parrot back what Peter said. Who are you, Jesus? You're the Christ. That is true. But Peter would spend the rest of his life. God was not done with Peter. God continued to work on Peter to help him understand that truth. Peter was never a grace graduate because he walked an aisle, prayed a superficial prayer called the sinner's prayer, and came to know Jesus Christ. He was a grace graduate never because he was always growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus to be matured. And we know this from his life of ups and downs. Friend, let it be reminded today that Jesus knows the worst about you. The worst about you. You know those thoughts that pass through your mind that you don't even want your, well, you don't want anybody to hear, quite honestly. The things that pass through our minds and our hearts. But nonetheless, praise God, he's the one that loves you the most. Amen? And so, how you act and speak today reveals how you answer this question. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that he is? Peter got the right answer. Look, church people, you can get all the right theological ducks in a row and be as unsaved as the heathen out in the bush somewhere who's never heard the name of Jesus. It is not knowledge that saves you. It is Jesus who saves you. And because that Jesus saves you, he's going to grow you in that. And you know this, Christian. But just don't rest on your knowledge. Don't rest that you know the answer. Don't rest on those things. Don't rest until the day that Jesus calls you home to know more about him, to seek after him, to grow in him. Isn't this what Peter said? And, and you don't need to turn there. 1 Peter 3, 11. All right, 1 Peter 3. Uh, I'll just read verse 3 of chapter 1. It says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, Darren, there's so many things I don't understand about the Bible. There's, there, there's so many questions that I have. There's so many truths that confuse me. Why did God do this and do this here? And, and, and there are times I wonder, quite honestly, Pastor, if God is doing anything in my life. There's, a, there's something that I need to know, and I wonder about his love. Well, Peter got the right answer, but I pray today, Christian, that you're also comforted with this fact, that God is at work in your life if you are a child with zealousness towards him. If you want to know more of him, he will give you more of himself. Not more salvation, but more knowledge of who he is and growing you to be like him. He's going to put you in situations that will trust what you just said. You know, I'm just going to I'm going to go there cuz Dave you went there in our prayer group this morning. What was the gentleman's name in the MTV awards? What was his name? Chris Price. Yeah, yeah, Chris Pratt. Sorry, Chris Pratt. Look, uh, I'm not an MTV fan. We don't even own a TV. So if there's an MTV, we have no idea what that is. So it is what it is. Many of you saw this week probably on a lot of Facebook channels that Chris Pratt, who's an actor in the uh, uh, Jurassic Park stuff and also did uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, super nerd and we're nerding out here for a second, all right? And he got up before the MTV Awards. Many of you saw this. And he gave some advice about dogs eating food and going to the bathroom and things and all these weird, sounded like a youth pastor, really. But he got up and he basically said, and, and I don't know Chris Pratt's thing, but he, he talked about someone who had died. God loves you. And, and he spilled his blood for you. And that's, that's it. That's what you need. That's the greatest advice I can give. This award I got, pff, let it be. I don't know where Chris Pratt's at. 
But a lot of us, if we were up on that stage, would look at that opportunity, even as a pastor, my knees would be buckling. I hate cameras. There's one here every Sunday. It drives me nuts. It's not on today, so I can say that, right? So it is. But the point of the matter is, is I don't know his faith. I'd love to dig into this. I'll stand corrected. But, 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 but Pratt got this right. It's only through Jesus that one gets to heaven. And that's just not knowledge. That's something that he wants to, uh, reading other interviews, he wants to try and live out. Now, did Chris Pratt say it as eloquently as a pastor could on a Sunday morning? Probably more so than a pastor on a Sunday morning to some degree. But he shared. My point of all that is to say is that, friends, Peter got the right answer. But it wasn't the answer that mattered the most. What mattered the most is that how he lived his life. And some interviews I read about Chris Pratt this week, that's what he wants to do. He wants to live his life for Christ. I pray that's true. I pray that is truly true. And I pray that's true in your life as well. Because you will be put in situations where you are forced to trust him and him alone. And that's what it really comes down to. Here's the truth you need to take to the bank. You will never know who you are until you know who Jesus is. Try to beat that very hard. Look, if you don't believe Jesus is God, you're like that hip-hop artist who takes words and make them mean whatever they want them to mean. I'm not a big anti-fan of hip-hop even. But it's amazing that grace could leave a fisherman to say you are the Christ. You are the anointed one. You are the one whose God's power has been placed upon and you've been sent with a special mission. What is that mission? He's the Savior of the world, this Jesus He's the Lamb of God. He's the one who came. He's the one whose assignment was to go and die on a cross because we could never do that ourselves. And at the center of Mark's gospel, there is one and only acceptable answer, and that is Jesus. It's either your way or the highway. It's either you're the salvation or we have nothing. That's what it comes down to. Personally, publicly, and proudly declare that Jesus is the only way. Christians, we have no other message. There's nothing coming from Tom Rainer, Ed Stetzer, Barna, whatever other church think tank group, and they're not all bad. There's nothing more than Jesus crucified. Friends, that is our power. That is our message. That is our gospel. That is everything that we have. That is power for your marriage. That is power for, for your kids and grandkids to come to Christ. That's power to love people who are the most unlovable, most, most energy-sucking people in your life because Jesus Christ is Lord. That's what we rest on. But can you say you are the Christ this morning? There is a way that the whole story of redemption is summed up in those four words. I mean, God rules the world. He marched history to do it. He, he taught the resurrection. He demonstrated his power. He came back. But you are the Christ means there are several realities that quickly we need to go through. First, you are the Christ. It means that sin is a reality. It means it can't be denied. Sin can't be avoided. It's not just not something you do. The problem is that sin is the scourge of humanity. We, as long as this church stands, will preach that there is sin that is so high that God had to come down, but God is higher than that sin because he did come down, and he said, it is finished. And look, my problem is not my situation. My problem is not my lack of education, my lack of finances. My problem is not other people. My problem is not even, spare the thought, the government. My problem is me, my sin, my guilt, 
my rebelness. I want my own way. I want to set my own rules. I want to do what I want to do at all times. And I must be rescued from God's wrath as he saves me from me and heading to the path of destruction known as hell. Sin is unavoidable. But that phrase, you are Christ, also means that God will not allow sin to reign. Isn't that awesome? So good news for us Christians. We praise him because his son died. He conquered death, for he died that we might live. Sin no longer has mastery over us. That phrase, you are Christ, means that forgiveness is possible. It means that if you're here today and you say that my sin is so bad, Pastor, God could never accept me. Oh, go give him a try. If you're a Christian here today, never forget where you came from. Some of you grew up and you were saved as a young kid, but don't forget that even as a baby, according to Psalm 51, you were born in iniquity from your very first breath. Even in conception, you were born into sin. And yet God, in his great mercy, says there is forgiveness in his name alone, the only acceptable answer. And that means that you are Christ, that eternal life is possible. Don't you love this? Eternal life is possible. I love this. This gets you energized. It should. Not because we're swinging on gates of gold. You'll probably do better than I. Not because you'll never get tired, but because Jesus is there. That's what heaven's all about. Forget all the country songs and all the other genres that sing about the streets of gold. Guys, that's just like that's just like when you go to a wedding and you're getting married, you don't care what the flowers look like. Well, I'm a guy saying that, I know, right? If you're a lady, you care up until that point. You don't care what the little bonbon things are. You don't care. If you're ready to get married, you're caring about that person that's sitting right across from you, don't you? I mean, all that stuff is nice, don't get me wrong. But you care about the one to whom you are dedicating the rest of your life. And that is what heaven is about. Heaven is about dedicating and remember that Christ is our treasure. You are Christ also means that rebellious people are going to be submissive to God's laws, that hateful people can become loving people, that prideful people can become humble, that heretics can become believers, and controllers can believe in the sovereignty of God. But it also means that if you're broken today, you can be restored. That if you're broken by sin, someday it will be restored. Jesus' words from Revelation, Behold, I come to make all things new. You are Christ finally means that there is hope. Hope not in who's elected. Hope not in what you can do. Hope not in the best and greatest strategies to make your best life now. But hope because Christ has said he's the only one who can do these things. You're not just the, the hope of Israel. You're not just the hope of every humankind, Jesus. There, you are the Lord of lords. You are the Redeemer. You are the Redeemer. Christian, if you're here today, you may need to be reminded of that simple fact of your life today, that Jesus is Lord and there is no one else with him, no one else beside him, no one else whom you can go to. He is Lord. So what do we do with this then? I mean, I mean, Pastor, I believe that. I, I really do. I really believe that. I really, really believe this. So, so Pastor, if, if that's true, then why did Jesus say in verse 30 again, look back at verse 30, why did Jesus say not to tell anyone? That seems a little odd, doesn't it? I mean, Peter just got the right answer. I mean, go ye therefore, go share the gospel. 
what happens may be a bit confusing. You'd expect Jesus to say, you got it right, go and get it. How many times have you been with us in the study? Has Jesus told these people, zip it, don't go and tell anybody. Be quiet, don't share it. And the reason is, is that Jesus understood that the transforming grace is not an event, it's a process. And these guys were not ready to give an adequate explanation of their words. These men understood the truth that Jesus is Lord. But boy, he had a lot of training, another six months before he died, before they were ready to go out. But didn't they already go out? Yeah, they did. Remember, they went out in in the 70 and 72. But friends, remember this. God may have you in a place where you may not know all the answers, and that's okay. But if you are seeking him, you will find them, not through any other means, but the Scripture itself as he grows you. That's what I want to leave with you this morning. Can I just pastor you again for a moment? Who is Christ to you? Is he your hope? Is he your confidence? Is he your rest? Do you recognize if your eyes are open that your eyes are only open because of his grace? And Amy will put one last question on the screen as we close. But I just want to ask this. And I know most of you very well enough, but I, I, I trust that at times we slip into this mode. But have you ever given way to spiritual pride or spiritual elitism or uh, a, comfort, a comfort of looking down on others and condemning and, uh, others whose eyes don't see? Friend, if that's where your heart is today, if you've heard the calls as our church goes out to the neighborhoods and, 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 and does certain things and we do the treasure hunt where uh, the free giveaway on July 14th, there's a plug, by the way, as we do all these things, if you think, great, I get to show them a little bit more about Jesus. That's a good start. But is your heart one to say, I want to show them more about Jesus because I'm just another beggar taking another beggar to bread, or is it because we ha- we've achieved something? Some of the best ministry of your life, and I say ministry because you all are in the ministry as Christians, not just the formal guys. The best ministry of your life will also often be when people see or you see people as they are at their worst. We, uh, John, John Smith, you stole my notes, brother, uh, in Sunday school class. John was talking about this. Often the best ministry we have to other people is when we see them in places and situations that aren't the prettiest, aren't the best, and we see them for who they really are. Because at that point, we have a choice to make. Are we going to show them the compassion of Jesus or just kind of keep our, our distance and say, well, I got Jesus, I'm going to share a little bit with you, but I'm out the door. That's a big question to ask. Because when you answer that question, who are you? Who do you say that I am? That changes everything as a Christian. And if you're not a Christian, it changes absolutely everything. Will you pray with me as we close out today?